Jesus, on this afternoon, we call to mind that it was by your hand, your breath, that the scrub oak got the um, sky, everything we love came into being. Jesus, we rouse ourselves from the glaze of religiosity, and we turn to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, beautiful maker of heaven and earth, to your personhood. We pause and we bring ourselves before you, God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we give this time to you. We frame it, God, with our intention to be true. God, to, um, I ask for your help, save us from posing. If we do pose, grant the other one of us the uh, acuity to call each other out on it. Save us from everything untrue, God. And let us be true in where we are and how we got here and where we want to go. Thank you for this moment. We consecrate it to your kingdom, to your action in us and in our friends and for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Morgan Snyder, and welcome to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. I'm really, really happy today. I'm really happy because I am sitting with my best friend. I'm sitting with my bride and my truest companion, Sherry Snyder. Hi, sunshine. Hi, buddy. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. We've done a handful of recordings before in various formats. We just did one with John and Stacy. Um, but this is really a milestone for us, huh? This is a milestone, yes. This is good. We've never, this has been on our hearts for years and um, has expressed itself in many different formats from partnering and co-laboring on writing projects and speaking and teaching a few times together um, and going after the hearts of couples in person once in a while together. But um, we've really been drawn to this format of the podcast uh, partly because of the experience we've had of podcasts, right? And just the students um, of, of, of growing and being nourished by other people's podcasts. Yes. And then also we have uh, like-hearted friends all around the globe. You know, I remember Dan Allender's quote where he says, find like-hearted kings. Mm-hmm. And where Dan says, where he says, find like-hearted kings living in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Sign treaties. When they are at war, you are at war. And I think that quote is really powerful because we have done that in our in our lives. We have a few that are like-hearted kings and queens that we've signed treaties with and we do intimate life together. But I think it's important to say there is this larger fellowship of heart that are like-hearted peers all around the globe that want what you and I want and they're going after it. And a podcast we've learned from our own experiences, a means to share some life, to mm-hmm. lock arms, to share stories and connect and visit them and visit our friends 
in your worlds. And so we, we wanted to experiment with this format as a way of offering our marriage mm-hmm. as a riskier and more bold platform mm-hmm. to love and be loved and to explore the mysteries of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that being said, hello, friends, whoever's decided to tune in. We're glad to be with you and you with us. Share there are two images that um, I know we talk about, but I want to just give visibility to our friends out there regarding our marriage. Um, We were married in December of 2000, and the first nephew of our clan, Garrett, was born two weeks before our wedding, and my sister Ashley showed up and surprised my mom at our wedding with this infant, the first grandchild. And... It was a crazy, holy moment that my sister would take that risk. And now Garrett is driving a vehicle, right? He's 15 going on 16, and he has his learner's permit. And what's so helpful is Garrett is an external expression of a spiritual reality of what our marriage is, right? He came into the world, this new creature, the same date that our two lives became one, and this union, this we, this new entity in God's eternal kingdom was born. And so I look at Garrett, and I watch him as he's driving a car, and he's this teenager, and he's growing up, and I realize that's, he's our marriage, right? Our marriage is like, has its learner's permit now. Like, we're not kids anymore, and yet it's still kind of a learner's permit. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Morgan. I I hear you. I don't identify with that, I guess, because maybe I feel like years in marriage are a little bit like dog years or something. Yes. And um, actually, when you were quoting that from Dan Allender, I was thinking um, one of the reasons why it feels timely to offer this podcast is because um, we aren't at war. Yes. Right now in our own marriage. Yes. Yes. But we have fought through some wars. Yes. And we've been at war um, at times with each other and yes. at times in other, um, united in other contexts. So on the one hand, I agree, but I would say just looking at Garrett would remind me more of a, a young love, how we used to be when we were first married. Yes. Before we really realized how much dysfunction was happening between the two of us mm-hmm. and how much um, brittleness there yes. was under what appeared to be a lovely veneer. Yes. And I guess I feel really differently about our marriage. It feels definitely not adolescent anymore. Yeah. Though we have a lot to learn and a lot of miles. But I, I feel, I guess, I feel it more like someone who's driving a little bit of a beater car. Yes. That has some good like dance and... Some um, great tunes on the radio. <laughs> tunes on the radio. But more than that, really like some... I could talk, walk you around our car and show you some fender benders and yes. some a head-on collision that we almost yeah. died in, and then the repair work that we've done. So I That's know great. that I you identify that. with that picture of Garrett, but it, it does not ring true to me. I feel like we're older than that. I love that. And first of all, I just love your your feistiness and just your willingness to have your voice be heard um, because I hear you. And I think maybe as you say that, where I go is the part of that 
metaphor is the chronology of it. If mm-hmm. it's 16 years, mm-hmm. like he came in this world an infant mm-hmm. and uh, na- and now he's he's an adult, mm-hmm. young, but mm-hmm. an adult. But maybe let me offer the second one yes. that I think about. I think I prefer it. See if this resonates. Um, there's a tree in our front yard, an ash tree, and I brought it home and planted it when Joshua was born. So Joshua was born three years into our marriage. And it was in the back of our Ford Explorer and it was a little sapling. And I remember when we bought our house on Chokecherry, it felt really big, like a big mortgage and a lot of space and a huge responsibility. And I felt pretty small, like, oh crap, can we handle this? Like, can we handle the mortgage? Can we handle the responsibility? Like, this is a really big deal. And just last week, that tree was in its absolute glory of yes. fall and just the the crimson reds and mm. the burnt orange. And it was, it was, it was a blaze, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we just kept taking pictures of mm-hmm. it. And it towers over our house mm-hmm. now. And it was like just several years ago that it took this growth spurt, at least for me, that I actually noticed it much. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was a it was a small tree in our front yard, but now it's one of the largest in our neighborhood, as far as in our little piece of suburbia, and it's larger than our house. And I think what I would say, Cher, is the description you gave was just perfect of all the dense and all the brittleness and all that we fought through. And right now we're not in a season of war. That tree is bigger than our house, and it feels like in some ways our union in Christ has outgrown the structure of our home in every good sense. Mm. It's robust. It's full. And I think it's fair to say, at least from my perspective, every day is hard, Mm. but we've never been closer. Our union's never been more filled with life. We've never Mm. been more happy Mm -hmm. in our marriage. And yet every day is hard. So that tree is another metaphor that I hold on to. Yes, yes. And I would say, Mark, I I don't feel like every day is hard per se. I feel like there are still very hard days Mm -hmm. and many of them. But I have, for the first time, I think, in our married life, touched where I'm like, that day was so filled with wind from that sheer gladness of the fruit we're harvesting from our marriage, that that was a great day. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, it isn't all, I'm not experiencing it as all hard, yes. all battle. I'm really feeling moments of, of real lightness. And that for, for me and for us, given our intensity, given our story is to me amazing. So yes, yes I think many days are hard, but I, I would say not all days are hard. Not every day is That's hard. That's great. Well, I think it reminds me of the words my buddy Graham Reed spoke to me in Australia last year when we were there for the Become Good Soil Intensive, where he said, we reap in the next decade mm-hmm. what we sow in this decade. Mm-hmm. And I think to to just affirm what you're saying, we are in a season of reaping. Yes. Where 16 years into our marriage, we did some deep excavating yes. through some deep pain. And we... Those prevailing winds yes. of goodness are yes. flowing increasingly in yes. our home. And we are reaping yes. what we sowed last decade. And even more so, I think, I, I really appreciate the way you described it because it's. It, I think of that more often where what I'm sowing today yes. is the intent to reap a decade 
and more from now rather than just the immediate gratification of avoiding pain Mm -hmm. in our marriage, avoiding the hard conversation, Mm -hmm. trying to get through something, right? It's Mm -hmm. shifted our perspective as we're a decade and a half into marriage. What I hear you saying is that when it is hard, you're more willing to show up in that hardness and to see what what's underneath it, what seeds for the future might be there. You have more anticipation of goodness. Yes. And so when things are hard, you engage it from a posture of, I, I want to mine for the seed here yes. because I know that if we tend to the hard now, we're going to reap. Yes. And so rather than just trying to, um, you know, arrange for life on the side or avoid the hard conversations. You and I both, I think, have more fortitude yes. to engage the hard. We have more vision for for the worthiness of it. Yes. For, or for how much can be gained. But what I am I think is is interesting as you allude to that tree is that tree almost didn't make it. Yes. I was wondering if you could tell that story. Yeah, it's a it's actually a beautiful story. Um it's a violent one. So we planted it and would you say it was about two years yeah. into mm-hmm. having it. Uh you know, as you know, when you transplant a tree, the first two years, it it feels dormant. And mm-hmm. then after about two years, most trees will kind of take off as they establish roots in the new soil. And well, this rogue wind came through mm. one, one spring in April in Colorado. It's mm. just a fierce battle between winter and summer. And the storm came and ripped every limb off that tree, Mm -hmm. including the main beam, except for one. Mm -hmm. And there was one little branch Mm -hmm. left with two leaves. Mm -hmm. And I get emotional even thinking about it because I remember looking at that tree and it was so symbolic Mm -hmm. because at the time it was like expensive to get a great Mm -hmm. tree at Hillside Gardens. And and it was the first like real tree we'd Mm -hmm. ever planted. Yes. And it was a lot of work and figuring out how to do it well and learning how to cultivate soil when the soil is just really poor in our suburban backfilled neighborhood. And and it was violent. And I remember looking at that tree going, damn, Mm -hmm. it's not going to make it. Like we're at square one again. And I, I had nothing to lose by leaving it there. And I remember my mom telling me, you need to cut a broken branch even, and I still don't know why, but I cut the main beam and gave it a clean mm-hmm. cut and just kind of forgot about the tree for another year. And and then the next spring, I looked at the tree and noticed that that one branch with two leaves found its way upward. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. took over as the main beam and a few other branches popped mm-hmm. out. And over time, it mm-hmm. recovered. Yes, And after about three years, you could barely tell that there once was a different main beam. Yes. And I was just showing the kids this past week. I walked them over and had Joshua put his hand mm-hmm. on that little nub mm-hmm. that you would never notice unless you knew the story mm-hmm. of the violence that shook mm-hmm. that tree and tried to destroy it. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there is a story mm-hmm. behind it that makes it that much more mm-hmm. beautiful. Yes. I identify that story with our marriage. It's good. This brings me incredible joy because in the context of Ransom Heart, we we believe deeply in God's image bearing in the human soul on the level of gender, that God fashions us as men and as women. And consequently, so much of our mission and ministry is to men as men and to women as women. And I would say now 
16, 18 years into this mission for our own hearts and the hearts for others, what we've noticed is the marriage is where the real battlefront is. And the marriage is where the real possibility is. It just feels like the epicenter of the Christian life. And it makes so much sense because God is relational at his core, right? <laughs> he is Trinitarian. There is this fellowship that's constantly heroically living and loving on behalf of another. There is this culture of mutual advocacy where the life of God shines and pierces as light into darkness. And marriage is the ultimate expression of the Trinity, where you have a man and a woman that come and where you have two that become one and in God and through that union and that Trinitarian fellowship, they become more greater than the sum of the parts. And we believe that if you can go after the heart of a marriage, if you can have the curiosity to really engage what's going on in the depth of a marriage, in some ways, every other aspect of the Christian life follows. And it is in some ways the most precarious frontier. We've met many people that have gotten big pieces and portions of their hearts back without truly engaging the profound pain of their marriage. And then we've met a few others that have said, I want everything that is available on this side of eternity, the full portion of what God has intended for marriage. And it's just amazing as we spend a lot of time under the leadership and care of older, wiser sages um, and men and women that have gone before us, we get to appear in their lives. And I noticed a, a real trend of two distinct categories. And there were people that chose to walk with God and grow in their Christian life individually. And then there were others that said, I won't neglect my marriage. I will allow it to be the constraint at which I pursue ministry and move forward. And it's a lot slower. It's a lot less efficient. But just like the parable of the sower and the seeds, it's a kingdom reality that the good soil becomes 30, 60, 100 fold of a harvested yield. And we've seen the very most fruit in people's lives in the homes and hearts of people that said, I will choose to fight for wholeness and integration in my marriage. I will choose to fight for unity over disunity. I, I'm curious what you think about this, Sherry, but this I view it as a heroic transition from two people living together, largely needing to self-protect and broker and compromise where necessary, but ultimately find ways to negotiate each other to get the life they need or want or think is intended for them contrasted to this shifting culture that we're noticing in our marriage over this now second decade of truly mutual advocacy, where you realize this person that you share a bed and a home with is your greatest advocate. And it's the culture of the Trinity where I have come to believe that you care more about my best interest than I could 
and vice versa. And so it shifts from a culture of self-protection and brokering to a culture of mutual advocacy. Mark, what you're saying reminds me of something that Mike Mason describes in Mystery of Marriage, which is some deep sense of the sacred in your spouse, that your spouse is the closest manifestation of the Trinity because the person you have the closest proximity to, you'll never be closer to God than when you are choosing to come into deepening relationship with your spouse. I, of course, am thinking there's other ways I know for people who are not married to be equally close to God. I really believe that. I, I don't believe Father would set up the universe in a way that it was, um, it depended on marriage to, for a human to have their culminating union with God. But it is, uh, marriage is extraordinary. And I've gone from hating it to loving it. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful. And I want to, um, I want to know more. So as we dive into this, one of the thoughts we have is we'd like to kind of explore what what we're kind of looking at as these footers of the foundation of marriage. We we've we've observed our marriage both living in the weeds of it and then also almost stepping outside of it um, as students with a sort of intense curiosity to say what makes a marriage thrive. How, how do you thrive? How do you move into that Trinitarian model of marriage? And, and how do you go from, as you said, Cher, like hating a marriage to loving it? What is that process? And mm-hmm. we've learned it's slow and steady. And mm-hmm. we've learned that it's lived in the days and measured in the decades. But we've, we've seen these almost like mm-hmm. spotlights where the scripture says that God's word is a lamp into our feet mm-hmm. and a light into our path. It's almost like the spirit has shown mm-hmm. The Spirit has shined a light mm. to our feet and a lamp and to our path mm. in these various moments where mm. it's there, there's a pattern of these pillars, these footers that form a foundation that's unshakable, and we want to explore them together. So we're going to go through them over time, and we invite you to join us and take some risks as we're taking some risks, and above all else— in this first episode of this kind of new format of exploring on a podcast, I truly want to say welcome. Welcome to you friends that are fighting heroically, that are living courageously, that are that are wanting and desiring to partner with your spouse, that are not willing to settle for a, a functionally capable marriage, but instead are willing to risk asking the question that Sherry, you brought to me for the first time of this question of what is available? What is the full portion available to a man and a woman together? So friends, as we experiment with this new format, we want to end each episode with a question. We want to leave you with a a place of consideration and honest curiosity, as we talked about earlier. We invite you to consider listening to these podcasts, either with your spouse, or you listen to them individually in a certain period of time, like three or four days, and come back together and spend some intentional time unpacking the podcast 
and what you did with the question that we left you with. We'd love to see you run with that. And so, Sherry, for today, how about a question? Mm-hmm. Morg, as we were talking about our tree and the analogy of connecting our tree with our marriage, I was thinking about the question to our friends of, what does your tree look like? If you were to liken your marriage to a tree, how would you describe that tree? I'm remembering that um, shortly after 2008 and a season of a violent thrashing of our marriage and the loss of many, many branches. And in fact, it felt as if the whole thing had been chopped down. Morgan thoughtfully asked my permission to place a picture that he had of our marriage up on our refrigerator. And I was so touched by this picture. It was the picture of a of a sapling, the tiniest little tree being held in fertile soil in these in two cupped hands. And it was a tree that very evidently needed immense amount of care and protection and tending that it might grow, that it might reroot, and that it might someday flourish. We kept that image on our fridge for many years, actually, for probably about three years. We were going through a season of rerooting our tree and then staking our tree to help it grow stronger, supporting it. And that was a precious, precious image to me. So I want to offer the question of how's your tree? What does your tree look like? Does your tree look like a mangled stump that has undergone almost a lethal storm? Does your tree, is it robust and reaching for the heavens and longing to grow more, extending out in many directions and with the potential to extend even farther and higher? Is your tree a little sapling for which you are longing to find good soil, that it could have the room and the habitat to grow? Is your tree somewhere in between? Maybe it's um, taken some hits, lost some branches, and looking to be realigned. So how is your tree? How is the tree of your marriage? Jesus, you who are tree and pruner, you, Jesus, who are the true husband, the tender of all life, Jesus, you who are the image of love. We turn our hearts to you, God. We ask that you would come, that you would infuse this question with revelation, that you would let us see, God, what we maybe have not been able to see before. Would you grant us eyes to see? And as we sit, as our friends come together in conversation, would you grant them ears to hear and a time out of time space to consider and become more curious? And would you fill us all, God, with hope, with an anticipation of goodness around the corner, God, goodness around the bend? Thank you so much for this moment in time. Thank you for these friends. In Jesus' name. Friends, this is Sherry and Morgan Snyder on the Become Good Soil podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.